you have your Bible, if you have a Bible today, turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, new study. We're talking about kingdom workers. If you don't have a Bible, this is why God gave us uh, cell phones. That's why he gave us smartphones. Look it up. There's an app there somewhere. You can find it. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be looking at leadership and, uh, and what it takes, what God wants us to do. And you say, well, good news, I'm not a leader. Well, you are a leader. You're a leader in your home. You're a leader in your house. You're a leader on your block, maybe at work. You're, you're a leader for your children, your grandchildren. You're a leader for your spouse. Maybe you're a leader in some other way. But God calls us all to be key leaders, to be key persons. Be the key person. That's what we're talking about. But sometimes that's frustrating. Do you ever get frustrated? Am I the only one that gets frustrated around here? Uh, I, I get frustrated. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I went out and we, we have this, uh, Kathy and I, it's just the two of us, and then we have the two dogs, and then we have this huge family that lives with us. They're all spiders. You guys have some of those? Uh, and so I decided to eliminate some of our family, and so I went to the back patio, and I began to, I took the vacuum, and I, you know, I have one of those industrial vacs, and I vacuumed all of the, the eaves, all of the, around the house and the patio, got rid of all the spiders. I was so proud of myself, literally spent about an hour and a half just, just back, I, there were thousands of spiders killed in the making of this story, I promise. They were all gone, and I was so proud of myself. And the next morning, uh, I got back from walking the dog, opened the back door, and walked out, and there was a spider web right across my face. An hour and a half in the heat. You ever get frustrated? You ever feel like maybe no matter what you do, and, and don't get me wrong, I had sprayed. It was not just that. I mean, it, it, was, just, it was just crazy. And how can they be back so fast? One time I was cleaning spiders um, in, a, in a light fixture above a table, cleaned them at breakfast, and when we came down and sat down at lunch, they were back again by lunch. How, how can that be? But that's life. Do I make a difference? Does it really matter what I do? I mean, they're, they're going to be there anyway, so does it really make a difference? How could I be someone who, who makes a difference in life? Not just about spiders, but about things that really matter. I noticed this week that LeBron James, or a couple of weeks ago, I guess just this last week, LeBron James got a new contract. Anybody here follow the NBA? Okay. LeBron James, he's, he's made a couple of headlines a time or two. He went from Cleveland to Miami, was the most hated guy, and now he's going back to Cleveland, and now people love him again. He's loving going to Cleveland because they, they guaranteed him $42.1 million for two years. $21 million a year. A little more than I make in three lifetimes or 12 lifetimes, whatever that is. Uh, and you just think, well, why would they do that? And when they said, why would you pay him so much money? They said, he is the key to our team. Wouldn't you just like to be the key to something so that someone would recognize it? Or not just to, to write you the check for $21 million, but, but to just say, he, she makes a difference. They make a difference. Most of us live ordinary lives. I mean, the, the things that we deal with is a toilet that won't flush or won't stop flushing, or an air conditioner that won't work or it's leaking water. We had that this week. We had, uh, maybe you have tension at work or at home. Maybe it's poor communication on your part or your spouse's part. I mean, we deal with the ordinary things in life. We don't deal with $42.1 million problems. But Chuck Swindoll, I was reading this week, and he said this, much of our personal frustration in daily life is a direct result of faulty decisions. 
I wanted to smack Chuck when he said that. Much of the daily frustration, personal frustration in daily life is a direct result of faulty decisions. Okay, so what if I could learn a way to make decisions that would take away some of that frustration? What if, what if we discovered a new way to make decisions that would make us a key person, not only in our life, but in God's kingdom? To be a kingdom worker, to be a key person for God. But it would also translate into being a key person in our life today. What if our life reflected, there's a, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, and what if it reflected this, now to him, that is to God, to Jesus Christ, literally, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, or get that, last, that next one, all that we ask or imagine. He's, he's able to do more than we ask, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is present tense at work within us. God uses his children who walk each day with him to do impossible, incredible, immeasurable, unimaginable things. And you think, you know, come on, pastor. You know, don't get into the hyperbole. Don't get into this thing. No, I'm telling you, Every day we have the opportunity to walk with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in His kingdom and do some things that can be done in no other way. We're going to see how we do that in, in, in two, different, two different statements from just the first chapter of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. We're going to look here at God uses those who recognize the problem. If you want to be one of those people, the first thing you have to do is you have to recognize the problem. Look at the first four verses. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. Everybody has heard of Hekeliah. I had never heard of Hekeliah. I hope you didn't raise your hand. Uh, the son of Hekeliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, Kislev is a Hebrew month, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that was the winter palace of the Persians, so that we can get this. This is not here. This is over 800 miles from Jerusalem. In the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, that's one of Nehemiah's brothers, came from Judah, came 800 miles with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile, that's when first Assyria and then Babylon came and captured much of Israel and took them back, and we're going to look at that. They survived the exile and are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Look at verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. God uses those who recognize the problem. God uses those who recognize it. Am I clear about the problem? If if you want to follow along, there's an outline. Ask yourself this question. Am I clear about the problem? How can you be part of the solution if you don't know what the problem is? Are we clear about the problem? And I need to do a little history here. Usually when I do this, people roll their eyes and, and or fall asleep. So I'll try to make it brief. About 2,000 years before Christ, about 4,000 years ago, God came to a man by the name of Abram. And he said to Abram, follow me. And Abram and his wife Sarah followed the Lord. And God started a nation, Israel, out of Abram. And God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And for 1,000 years, it didn't go the way that they thought. Because Abram didn't have a son until he was 100 years old. 
And then his, that, that son, it took a long time getting the family going. In the midst of this, they get into captivity in Egypt for 450 years. They're in Egypt, and Egypt becomes their captors and their, their slave holders, the slave owners for Israel. Finally, God brings them out, and about a thousand years after Abraham appears on the, the scene, finally they get in, in the, they're in the land of, of Israel, and finally after about a thousand years, they start to get a king. They get Saul, and then they get David, and then they get Solomon. And just when it looks like, okay, there really is a nation, there is a people, the kingdom splits. There's a northern half, ten tribes that's called Israel. There's a southern half that's uh, two tribes called Judah. So God's going to make this great nation out of them, but even in their history, there's this, all this splintering going along. The northern kingdom, about 722 B.C., 722 years before Christ, about 2,700 years ago, the northern kingdom is captured by Assyria. Assyria comes in and they just wipe through the land. They take many of them captives, take them back. And then a few years after that, the southern kingdom in 586 is the third captivity. But Babylon comes, and they do the same thing to the southern kingdom. They come through. You have to understand, Israel is at the eastern side of the Mediterranean on the land trail that goes east. And so it's very coveted land. It's, very, it's a land that was crucial in their time. Babylon takes them, three different captivities. The first one takes Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of the, the princes of Israel are taken back to Babylon. On the third one, in 586, the rest of, of Jerusalem is just destroyed. The temple is destroyed. And for about 150 years, and for, for 70 years, they're in captivity. After 70 years, some of them come back. And for about 150 years, Jerusalem has set just gutted and devastated. Now, that picks up where we are. And so Nehemiah hears about this wait a second. I mean, he's living it. He knew all about the history. It's not a new problem. It's been this way for at least 140, if not 150 years, since 586. This is about 435, 445 BC. 150 years have passed since Babylon did this. Some of the people are back, but he hears there's a problem. And God reveals something to Nehemiah that others did not see. Have you ever missed the problem? I mean, you, you see it and you think you do, but you miss it. I was out on a bike ride yesterday. I, I got out a little bit and, and was riding, and I came across this, this young woman, and she had her tire off, the, 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 the front wheel off of her bicycle had the tire off, and she was changing the tube. And I said, do you need something? I always carry a spare tube. I was going to give her my spare tube, and she said, no, I got it. This is my third flat today. And she had a little kit, and she was fixing the tube, and she was pumping it, and she was putting it back in. I said, whoa, 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 before you put it back in, this is your third flat today. And she said, yeah, I've, you know, I fixed it, but it just keeps going flat. And I said, did you check the inside of the tire? And she said, well, I looked, and I didn't see anything. So I said, before you put that tire back on, I took it, and I just ran my finger around, and I literally had blood on my finger because there was a, a, a huge thorn that had gone through the side of the tire and was sticking in, and it was poking the tube. And she said, Oh, that could be the problem. And I could see the little light. I mean, actually, there was a little, a little cartoon light came over her head. I, why did I know to do that? Because I have fixed a lot of flats while I was out riding my bike. Sometimes we don't get the problem. We think that we, she thought the problem was a flat tire. The problem was a thorn. 
And sometimes we miss the problem. Over and over and over in the Bible we see this. There's a story in the Old Testament about Saul. Saul is the first king. And from the very minute that Samuel comes and anoints him, he says, you need to follow what God tells you to do. And at one point, Samuel says, wait seven days. In seven days, I'm going to come and offer sacrifice before you go out and fight this battle. Wait seven days and I'll be there. Saul waits the seven days. Samuel doesn't show up. It's getting late in the day. The, 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 the men that are supposed to be there to fight says, listen, if we're not going to go fight, we're going to go home. And so Saul offers the sacrifice. And it says in 1 Samuel 13, 10, look at what it says. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel says, Saul, what are you doing? And he said, I offered the sacrifice. You didn't get here in time. Saul didn't get the problem. The problem was not him offering the sacrifice. The problem was he did not do what God told him to do. It ended up costing Saul the kingdom. David became the king because Saul could not figure out the problem. So what was the issue for Nehemiah? If this has been going on for all these years, Nehemiah understood something. Broken walls in their time meant no security. Broken walls meant that, that, you, that people would never come back and, and live in Jerusalem. Broken walls with no gates meant that no one would ever come back. Jerusalem would never rise again. There was no future for the city. He got it. Because in Jeremiah 29.10, Jeremiah said, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place, specifically Jerusalem. But it's never going to happen with no walls. Nehemiah knew Jerusalem had to be safe. He got the problem. Here's the second thing. Not only am I clear, but do I care? Do I care about the problem? You know, sometimes we're clear about the problem, but we don't care. Some of you don't care that I ride a bicycle. Shame on you. I, I, you know, I, I use it as an illustration, but some of you just don't care sometimes about the problem. And I understand that. What did ne Nehemiah do? Look again at verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. This is a grown man with a responsible job. In fact, he's the king's right hand. He's a cupbearer. We're going to see later on he, that he, he was a wine steward. He was probably in charge of some of the money for the food. He made sure that the king didn't have any poison in his food, sometimes tasted both the food and the wine. The, the king would, he was there when the king was discussing things, and often the king would bounce things off of him. This was a very respected man, and he wept over this. But not only that, he sat down and wept. Then he mourned like someone had died, and then he fasted. That means he went without food, and he prayed. He was serious about this. This impacted Nehemiah. It, it made him, it moved him. It, it made him want to act. And you have to be careful here because it's not just about passion. Sometimes I hear this, if you believe, you will receive. If you, you know, if you can just, can, if you can conceive of it, you can achieve it. Is that true? How many of you have ever heard of a program called America's Got Talent? Have you ever heard of that? Maybe you don't watch it, but you've heard of it. How many of you are here? I was just checking, same group, okay. There's a program called America's Got Talent. Can I just say this? Some do, some don't. I've watched a couple of episodes of it. Some people are really talented, and some people, when they get up, there was a gal that she said that she'd won all kinds of karaoke awards. There was no one that went up against her if she won an award. She was terrible. 
I'm sure she's a wonderful, kind, just responsible person, but she couldn't sing. America's got talent. Sometimes, sometimes we understand that not everything is true. And it's not just really true that just if you have passion for something, that it automatically will go your way. God was stirring his heart to do something. Again, Chuck Swindoll at one point says, if you don't really care, uh, you don't really care if you're not willing to do something about it. You don't really care if you're not willing to do something about it. You know why I was so proud to be pastor of this church this last week? I'm always proud to be pastor of this church. But I was especially proud because Larry Tony wore a wig that only Larry Tony could have pulled off. Looked like a clown's wig with all the different colors. And, and Wayne, as, as uh, the, one of the guys in the, in, the, uh, in the drama, every day he was Dr. I can't remember, Dr. Paws. And he, I mean, he got up there, he got completely, he was still up there today in, in the whole gear. He's ready to go. I, I was proud of Linda Isles, who dresses the parts and plays the parts and loves these kids. I was so proud of Jennifer. Jennifer with these little kids every day. I mean, one of the days, a mole had a little weird pink thing. She figured out how to put one of those on her nose on, a, on glasses. They care. They care about kids. They cared enough to do something. Andy Stanley says vision is not just something that, you, that could be done. Vision is something that you know you should do. Vision is not something that could be done. It's something that you know you should do. And for some days, it says he goes through this. And we'll find out next week, it's actually four months. For four months, he's, he's mourning and he's fasting and he's praying and he's weeping and he's, he's passionate about it. Four months later, his passion is still white hot. I love this verse, Psalm 51, 17. Look what it says. The sacrifices of God our broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. You know what God wants from you? He wants you to know the problem. He wants you to care about the problem. He wants you to, to understand the problem and then to care about it, to love these people. You say, well, why should I care? Because God cares about you. In Isaiah chapter 49, 16, God writes, see, I have engraved you your name, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. And then the next phrase is the one, your walls are ever before me. God knew about the broken walls in Jerusalem, but he also knows about your broken walls. And each of us have something that is a wall in our life. Not that we've built up these walls, but something that, that gets attacked, something that's a part of our life that someone around you is attacking, and maybe it's neglected. Maybe it's that someone has attacked you. Maybe the, you've abused that. But the Lord knows the issues in your life is what he's saying. He knows about you, and he wants you to care enough to give those issues to him. There is no passionless vision for God. God uses those who recognize the problem. Then it says that God uses those who respond to a problem. Those who, <clears throat> who respond to a problem. Look at verse 4 again. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O oh Lord God of heaven. He's praying. It's the longest prayer in the book. He's got 12 prayers. This is the longest one. Nehemiah prays, O oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, 
Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant's praying before you day and night for your servants. He wasn't just praying this once. He was praying it repeatedly. The people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. That's Jerusalem. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Second time he talks about revering, lifting up and and holding in awe God's name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Very specific prayer. He's going to go in front of the king. He wants, he wants success when he goes before the king. And then look at the last sentence that says, I was cupbearer to the king. God uses those who, to, who respond. How should we respond? Four ways. Number one, pray about it. Pray about it. Uh, you're going to see all the way through this book that, that there's prayer. It's passionate. It's specific. What is that broken wall? What is that issue in your life that you need to, to, to have? Maybe it's work. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's uh, discouragement or disillusionment. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something to do with your children or your, or your parents. Maybe it's something to do with your grandparents. What is that? Maybe it's a fractured relationship in, in some other way. What is the issue that God wants you to turn over to him? Have you prayed like this? Nehemiah starts out by reminding himself who God is, that he's great, he's awesome, he keeps his promises. You you remember the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed? We don't really understand hallowed too much. It's a word that we don't use. We talk sometimes, if you go into certain places, they talk about these hallowed halls. They're halls that are respected. It means that we're to hold God in awe in reverence. John Piper says it this way, that when we hallow God, it it builds trust in that person, in in who God is. When we hallow him, when we we hold him up and revere him, we hate to disappoint him. We hate to displease him. When we respect him, we obey directions. When When we show awe for who he is, we focus on who he is. Do we pray that way? I'm going to ask you specifically that if you have an issue today, I want you to pray for seven days. He did it for four months. I'm just asking you for seven days. I want you to pray specifically about that issue that maybe you've prayed about in the past, but you think God's just not listening. I want you to pray seven days like this. Remind yourself who God is. You say, well, what good will that do? Of all the things you could have me do, Pastor, why pray about it? Prayer slows me down. It makes me, sometimes when I see an issue, I want to just jump in and do it. And the Lord says, why don't you come to me first and hand it over to me? It slows me down to make sure I'm doing what God wants me to do. It clears my vision. 
of, it, it clears my idea of what needs to, be, to happen in this. Prayer quiets my heart. Have you ever been really anxious about something and you begin to pray? Prayer, I think most importantly, activates my faith because I come back to God. James 5.17 says it this way, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Seven days praying specifically that God will take care of that issue. God uses those who pray as his strategic people in his plan. Number two, admit your part in the problem. Nehemiah says, I confess. Now, again, the history is important because you need to remember, Nehemiah is living about 435, 445 B.C. It's 150 years since Babylon came in and took over the country. Was he there in 586? No. Was he the reason that they went into captivity? No. Why is he confessing if it's not his problem? Because it was his problem. Admit your part in, this, in, the, in the problem. His family was part of a nation who turned their back on God. Folks, listen to me just a minute, okay? Our nation has turned their back on God. And we need to confess that. And we need to humble ourselves and pray and ask God to forgive us. We don't need a new president. Well, maybe we do. That's a whole di different issue. But what we need more than anything else is we need a nation who turns back and said, God, what would you have us do? That's what we really need. This is not about politics. He wants us to know where we need to change. It's easy to list off ways that other people have offended us. It's easy to list off all the problems everybody else has. What we need to do is come before God and fall on our face and say, God, where have I messed up? Where have I failed you? When Solomon dedicated the temple, God spoke to the Israelites and he explained what they must do. This, and I've already quoted part of the verse. It says, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name, are you called a Christian? If you're a Christian, you are called by his name. Well, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And look at the last, and will heal their land. For over 200 years, this land has been blessed by God when we followed God. If we stop following God, he will stop blessing America. Admit your part in the problem. Are there any leadership issues today? Do you think there's any problem that we have in, in our nation? You want to talk about GM and the ignition problem that they had there? Any problem in business? All kinds of problems in business. Any problem uh, maybe in our homes? We have more kids now in single-parent homes than we've ever had in the history of America. Do you understand that? Uh, is there any problem maybe uh, in our government? I don't even want to go there. VA, borders, all kinds of things. When's the last time you heard someone say, especially at the top echelon, I confess? God will not use us to solve a problem when we have known unconfessed sin in our life. Number three, Trust God's promises. Not only do we need to pray about it, admit our part in the problem, but trust God's promises. In verse 8, he says, remember the instruction. He said, God, you promised. You promised us you were going to bring us back. How do you build trust? Trust is built on experience. Trust is built on experience. I love it when you go into a company and they say, this is just as good as, and then they name another brand. 
We went in, because of uh, Adventure Week this week, we don't normally eat a whole lot of fast food for a whole lot of reasons, but we went in a couple of times, and in one of the places I went in, I said, do you have some ketchup? And she said, well, we're out of Heinz ketchup, but this is just as good. No, it's not. I'm a purist. There's only one ketchup in America, it's Heinz. If you like Hunts, I'm, let me pray for you right now, okay? We know by experience what we can trust. And the Lord says, you can come back to me. You ever make a promise you wish you'd never made? Have you ever made a promise? Some of you go, no, I would never do that. Let me just say two words, car loan. You sign the loan, first payment comes due, and you think, why in the world did I buy this car? Even worse, 59 months later, you say, you're still paying that car payment. You're saying, why in the world did I buy this car? You understand? God changed the heart of an unsaved king. God let Israel return to, to Jerusalem. You're gonna see, we're going to see that God provided the materials, that God provided protection. God does all of these things because God keeps his promises. Now Nehemiah asked God to do what only he could do, to give him success when he goes before the king. That's not a given, by the way. If you read the book of Esther, Esther says, I can't go in front of the king. He hasn't called me. And if I go in front and he's not happy with me, I will die. And her uncle tells her, you need to go anyway. And she says, if I die, I die. Nehemiah trusted God. Do you? You trust God? Philippians 1, 6 says this, being confident of this, trusting him for this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We won't choose to be part of God's solution until we trust him. Each step, every step, every day. We, we need to understand this. And here's the last one. Step up to God's plan. Step up to God's plan. Nehemiah says, what can I do? What can I do? Lord, grant me success when I go in front of the king. And, and you think, oh, well, you know, I, I want God to do something, but I want him to do it in this other person. I, you know, I've got this issue, but this other person needs to change. My spouse, if my wife would just change, it would be great. What if you just said, Lord, change my marriage, and if it needs to be me that changes, change me. Step up to the plan. Step up to the plan. What is your part? What is God calling you to do? See, it's not about my vision for my life. It's about God's vision for my life. I, I got news for you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if, if you ever came to the point where you believe that Jesus stretched out his arms and died on the cross to pay for everything wrong you've ever done, for everything wrong that anyone else has ever done, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God was raised, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and you confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. If you name the name of Christ, if you are a Christian, if that's who you are, you don't belong to you anymore. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20 says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. For God's vision to be complete, he uses us. For God's vision to come to pass, he uses us. 
my life verse is Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I am God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. Say it out loud. I am God's workmanship. I am God's work. That was, I am God's workmanship. I really believe it. I want to hear it. I am God's workmanship. God has prepared in advance things for us to do. We have no right to live our own vision. We have no right to live a life with no vision and just kind of stumble along. We have no right to live anything other than God's vision for us because he's not trying to be some ogre that's keeping us from fun. He's trying to release from within us those things he created for us to do, those special things, those incredible things that he planned for us, and because we keep pushing him aside, we miss. Step up to God's plan. God longs to release the uniqueness and individual and individuality he put in us. Isaiah 6, 8 is a clarion call to us. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. I've been to Jerusalem. I've seen the walls of Jerusalem. When you see the walls of Jerusalem today, and I know that many of these were built by Herod the Great, but I've seen the wall of Hezekiah, and I've seen some of the walls that they built back at that time. These walls were not built with bricks. They were built with stones. And some of these stones, even back then, were 200, 300, 400 pounds. Some of them were, were two, and, two or three feet wide. I mean, it took a tremendous amount of work. If you went back to Jerusalem in the day of Nehemiah, if you walked through, you would see big, huge boulders, and they were just strewn all over the place. They, none of them were stacked on top of each other. And when you walked in, there would be three reactions. The first one you would see is, and it goes on 50-some miles. And you would look at it and you would say, there's no way to rebuild this wall. We don't have any contractors. We don't have any engineers. We don't have any equipment. We don't have the money. There's no way to do this. We can't possibly do this. That's the first reaction. The second reaction would be, okay, Nehemiah, if you say... I'm not really believing this is going to happen, but I'll go along for the ride. I'll show up. I'll take, a, you know, I'll take my turn. I'll lift a couple of the smaller rocks. I can't lift the big ones, but I know it's not going to happen, but, I, but I'll allow it. And then the third reaction is the one that God's looking for. Wow, look at all the rocks that God's going to build into a wall. Look at what God could do here with me. Wow, I could be a part of something that I can't even fathom right now. I could be a part of something that will change not only this city, but that will be recorded so that hundreds of years, literally thousands of years later, a church in Redding, California will hear about what happened in Jerusalem because one man, Nehemiah, wept and he cried and he prayed and he asked God for him to be able to step up. And today I'm saying that you have an opportunity to be a part of God's plan for Redding, California. And who knows if the Lord tarries, maybe someday someone will come back and say, there was a congregation 
in Northern California that believed God, that got on, on board with God, and they didn't say it couldn't be done, and they didn't just kind of go through the motions. They got excited about it, and they, and they stepped up to God's plan. That's what God wants to do today. Would you pray with me? Father, all we see is rocks. We don't even see a wall. Sometimes we feel like we've lost the foundation. And yet your plan is clear. There's no foundation other than Jesus Christ. And you've called us in the New Testament, says, to be living stones, to take our place in your wall, to be built up by you, to be a fortress where you train champions for Jesus Christ. Father, you've called us to do something we cannot possibly do on our own. First of all, to come to know you, to accept the grace that happened at Calvary. Father, you've called us as your children to be key in your kingdom, to be kingdom workers for you. And Father, there's some here today that may not know you, some listening to my voice that that have never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Father, they can know you today, and I pray that they will. Father, there are many others who hear the sound of my voice that think that they have it all together. They're going through the motions. They've not said it couldn't be done, but they're, they're not part of the solution. Father, make us in awe of who you are. Make us your wall, your city, your church, your people, your love that's spread outside these walls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.